morning. <laughs> you know what? It's all right. We sounded like Dave Matthews. We did sound like Dave Matthews a little bit. Uh, it's been a while, though. He asked if I was going to do some music, and I said, oh, please don't ask me to do that. Man, how many, how many have been taken out to dinner by this man? Yeah, I can't see all your hands. I bet there's a lot. I, uh, I, my wife is a foodie. This is a foodie. Uh, and, and a foodie is just somebody who, who basically, um, they make all their plans around food. <laughs> and if you want my wife, I know that if I want my wife to remember a moment, I, I make sure that there's good food. And that's how for, forever we will remember that moment. She, she will still bring up, remember 18 years ago? And we went and we visited so-and-so. I'm like, no. And she's like, and there was pizza. And that's my wife. So, so I've eaten more in the last 24 hours than in the last 24 days. This man has fed me. I'm going to go home. Last night he, made, he, he gave me the task. I'm overwhelmed by it, but he gave me the task of picking our restaurant. He gave me two choices, thankfully. And so I called my wife. And before I could even tell her the second one, she'd already Googled the first one and was letting me know which, men, which stuff on the menu looked good to her. So it's been good to be here. This has been really fun to actually, uh, to actually connect in person and find out that there's an affinity and what God's doing in his heart when he's doing mine. So I have, uh, I'm, I'm a 45-year-old man. I know I, I look much younger. Thank you. And, uh, uh, and I've been married almost 25 years. We have three kids, two girls and a boy in the middle. So they're 20, 18, and 13. And... Um, and I, just to give you just a brief overview, because I do have something on my heart very much this morning. But, um, but my kids' names, um, Madeline True, Ethan Wild, and Eva Blaze. And uh, to tell you a little bit about our ministry, about who we are. First, uh, we have a, a ministry called A Family Story. And I'm convinced, guys, that, that Jesus came to reveal to us the Father and what it looked like to become a son or a daughter, what it looked like to be in the family. If it isn't family, it isn't kingdom. Amen. And, and so we have this ministry called A Family Story. I'm convinced uh, that, it, that it's, about, it's about family. It's about what it looks like to be a son or a daughter. Jesus came to reveal that to us. And I'm also passionate about doing things with my family. And, and so I, I often bring someone on the road with me. We didn't this time, but I'll bring one of my kids. But we named our kids uh, uh, Madeline True. And when we got her middle name, we were praying for a middle name. And, and my wife said True, and we liked it. Went with Maddie and didn't give it a lot of thought, just went with True. Uh, but felt it was a God name. Uh, then Ethan came along. I was reading a book. My wife and I were reading a book called Wild at Heart. Anybody know that, that book? It's about, uh, uh, it's about a man's heart and, uh, uh, and that he was created. My wife was trying to figure out the guy she'd married. And uh, also she had a boy in, inside her, so she was wanting to, to, to figure out what this was all about. So she's reading that book, and one night she whispers over to me. She says, uh, uh, for his middle name, we had his first name. She says, uh, what do you think of Wild? And like 30 seconds, not even like five seconds passed, and I whispered, I wish my middle name was Wild. <laughs> and so we named him Wild, and, and some of the moms were scared because, you know, they didn't want him to turn out wild, but I was like, man, we're reclaiming that word. Like, that's a kingdom word. But we did put an E on the end of it just to make it a little bit classier, you know, I don't know. So we have an Ethan Wild. But by now, we're starting to figure out God's doing something in the lives of, uh, he's kind of choreographing some of uh, our, the names of our kids. When our, my third came along, our third came along, her name is Eva, and we named her after her, gra her grandmother, and uh, her great-grandmother, excuse me. And, uh, but then we were praying over her middle name, and uh, as we were praying over her middle name, um, we, we, started, we, started, we were really becoming more intentional. And, and I had these pictures like of, of like fire or firecrackers, which she is a firecracker. 
and, uh, and I had these pictures of that, and so I was trying to process it, and, and uh, my, I was like, Eva fire, no. Eva glory, n no. And, and one day, my, my wife called me, and she said, uh, what about Blaze? And so we have a little Eva Blaze. But here's what we really, really uh, was fun for us to discover. You see, life, uh, our life message was being choreographed in the names of our kids. Because if you, if you live true and wild, you set the world ablaze. Isn't that amazing? And so I'd, I'd actually written an album, uh, and it's out there, and, and, and my first book what was titled Surrendered and Untamed. Uh, and, and, and it had already come out when Eva uh, was born. And if you live surrendered you can live untamed. If you live grounded and established in his love, you can live wildly, passionately pursuing your dreams and desires because you are established in who he is, amen? And when you, do, when you live that sort of lifestyle, you get to set the world on fire, amen? This, this room is actually full of blazing people. <laughs> so, so, a little bit, that's a little bit about us. I, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm a relational theologian, and I only have one message, and, and the message is, is the empowering revelation of his love, and, and, and it goes a little bit like this. I, I, I get to travel, I get to speak at places, and, and, and I need it simple, and the message is simply this. Uh, God is love, you can write this down. God is love, and his love is always good. And that's the message. Amen. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an addendum, there's something I have attached to it that I've realized this is my part to play in it. God is love, his love is always good. Looks like Jesus, Jesus revealed what love looked like. God is love, his love is always good. And then I have one responsibility, and I have the same responsibility, and it's, and it's really simple, thankfully, is that my responsibility is that I would wake up this morning and I'd be more sure today in his affection and his goodness and his love for me than I was yesterday, and more sure tomorrow than I am today. In fact, I'm convinced that the Christian life is that simple, that my only responsibility is to be loved because he first loved me, and from that place I get to live as an expression of love. So here's the fun thing. Wherever I go and I speak, I'm constantly asking, I, 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 I've stopped asking the same question because I would ask, Father, what do you want me to share with them? And, and he always answers with the same question. He says, tell them I love them. Tell them I love them. Tell them I love them. And, 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 and early on when we would be going back and forth, I'd be like, well, but Father, that's only going to take about three seconds. So where do we go from there? And he said, I trust you. He said, I got one message, and it's simply this. He loves us. His love is always good, and we exist to grow. Sure, I'm convinced when Jesus came, he didn't come to just show us who the Father was. He came to show us what it looks like to live confident in his Father's pleasure, to live confident in his Father's love. He actually came to show us what it looks like to be a part of the family. He didn't come to, to reveal our desperate need for him. I grew up in the church. I grew up uh, at five. I gave my life to Jesus. My dad was a pastor. So I grew up in the church, and a lot of what I was taught for for the first 30 years of my life was that my relationship with my heavenly father, my relationship with God, the things he'd called me to do, the promises that he had in my life, this kind of untamed living, this, this passionate living that I was called to, that, that, that there, was some, there was some sort of, uh, of a dysfunction in my relationship where I was constantly trying to prove my love to God. How many know that, that, that if, if you hear somebody say, what's the greatest command, what would you say? You'd say, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the gospel, that's good, that's what Jesus said, but how many understand that, that if that is the, the, the lens that you live through, you'll constantly be trying to love and, and constantly be falling short, and I would like to propose to you that Jesus actually came to show us that we love because he first loved us. And so for, for most of my life, I was trying to prove something to God. 
I went to Bible college and I got my degrees and I, and I, and I, and I started a band, yes, but we were still we were doing worship and we were, I was constantly, but I was constantly falling short. I was constantly trying to figure out how to, how to love the world, how to set the world on fire, trying to figure out the next system or the best way to do church or the best model. And, and I, I want to tell you that, that there was this shift that took place in my life where God began to speak to me. Uh, I knew that he loved me. But there was a, about, about 15, 13 years ago, I was, I was at a, a meeting and, and I was standing in the meeting and I'm, I go to a lot of charismatic meetings where there's a lot of holding hands, you know, the holding hands part of the service. Some preachers don't think you've, had a, you've actually successfully had a service unless you've held hands at the end of the service. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm not a, I love to hold my wife's hand and my kids' hands, but other than that, I'm not a big hand holder. And, and, you know, so, and, and in fairness to me, I was in uh, college once, and, and the hand-holding part of the service came, and there was an older fellow next to me, and he had a handkerchief that he'd been dabbing his nose with, and the hand-holding part, and he reached with the handkerchief in it and grabbed my hand. So it's, it's an understandable reason. And, and, and also, when you're holding a hand, do you go under, do you go over? If it's a girl, how do you do that? And, and then as soon as, you, as soon as you grab hands, your nose itches, you know what I'm saying? And so you're like, I got to, you know. Uh, you got to think it through. Like uh, you only get one let go, one release during a hand holding part. These are all unspoken rules, but you only get one. So you so you have to think: Does my ear itch? Does my it, you got to go through all the because you're going to let go to scratch your nose, but you know as soon as you grab that hand again, your ankle itches. Anyway, the hand holding part of the service came as this 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 lady grabbed my hand and she she wouldn't let go and and. Uh, and then the, the let go part came and she still wouldn't let go. In fact, I looked at her because she wouldn't let, and she grabbed my other hand. Now she has both my hands. And she's looking at me in the eyes and she's, she's looking at me and she, she says, I have to tell you something. And I said, well, okay, let's do this then. And then she, so I'm waiting, honestly, I'm waiting for something profound, right? Because this feels like a profound moment. She's got both my hands. She looks at me, she says, he loves you. And I said, yeah, thank you. And I'm waiting, and she says, no, you don't understand. He loves you. And I'm holding her hands, and I'm thinking, uh-huh. Thank you. No, you, and she starts to cry. She gets emotional. You don't understand. He loves you. And so now I'm, I'm thinking, I'm starting to shift. I'm like, okay, I think this is it. I think this is all she's got. Like, this is what she's got. So now I'm thinking, let's just do this thing, because she's got both my hands. So, all right. So I looked at her, I said, thank you, Yes. I know. She said, no, you don't understand. He loves you. And, and this was like a, a minute and a half. It felt like, t it probably wasn't a minute and a half. It felt like 10 minutes. But I finally, she finally said, he loves you. And she let go. And I said, thank you. And I left. And, and, and I said, well, that was nice. Thank you, Father. I love you too. And uh, about five days later, I'm at another meeting. And uh, I'm doesn't like meeting. And the hand-holding part of the service comes. And the lady grabs my hand. And doesn't let go when the parts that you're supposed to let go. She doesn't let go. And I look at her and I think, huh. And then she says, I have to tell you something. She doesn't take my other hand, thankfully. She says, I have to tell you something. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, he loves you. And I said, yes, I know. And she said, no, you, you don't understand. He loves you. And I'm thinking, this is, this is strange. Okay. All right, thank you. She lets my hand go and I, and I leave. This time I, I say, thank you, Father. I that's really sweet. I, I, love, I love you too. And about three or four days pass, I go to another, another service. And, uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm sitting and there's a, there's a coffee spot in this service. But I love this. This is really cool in the theater. 
there's a spot outside, there's a coffee. I love coffee. I, I, you know, I just trust people to drink coffee more. Than those. I just get, I was giving them a hard time because you didn't drink coffee. <laughs> just, it's this, it's, it's uh, St. Arbuck's. It's a good place. So, it's, uh, it's one of my many offices. But, uh, so I'm sitting in the, there's a cool coffee spot at this church. It's actually a really big church and and it's behind the kind of this, uh, the stage, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm kind of enjoying coffee, and the speaker's speaking, so this is like the best church ever, because I can drink coffee while the speaker's speaking. And they're walking, people are walking by to go to the, the bathroom, and they kind of have to walk, it's about 20 feet past me. And as, they, as they're walking by, uh, this, this lady, uh, she, she's walking by, and she stops, and we make eye contact, and, and it's, you know, it's a good 20, probably 30 feet away from me at this point, she makes eye contact with me. And she stops, she looks at me, she turns, and she begins to walk toward me. And have you ever made eye contact too early? You know what I'm saying. Like you're in, you're in high school, it's really bad. You're in, the, you're in high school and you're walking and there's that girl and she's 30 feet away and you make eye, now it's just this awkward walk of do I look or do I, because you're too far away to say something. You know what I'm saying, that awkward it's that socially, you guys figure out I'm a little socially like I like this. Anyway, so she's, she's made eye contact too early. So she's walking toward me, and, and I'm looking at her, and she's looking at me, and she's walking, and I'm looking, she's looking. So finally, I think that social awkwardness it gets involved so much that she blurts out, I have to tell you something as she's coming closer. Once she says that, I know she wants to hold my hands. So I'm like... <laughs> So I'm like, okay, I know what she wants to tell me, too. She says, I have to tell you something. And I said, I know, he loves me. And she stops, and she, for a moment, there was like this little bit of disappointment, because I know she wanted to, like, she was like all in, like she was ready. And, and I'd taken that away from her. But she, she, uh, she stops, she, and then she, she gets serious again. She goes, yeah, he loves you, and you don't know how much he loves you. And I said, thank you. She turned around, and she walked away. And I walked out of, the, of that meeting, and I said, I grew up in the church. I know you love me. It was in the songs I sang when I was a little child. It's in the songs I sing every Sunday. But some, for some reason, you're going out of your way to tell me something I already thought I knew. And it took me on a journey that has changed everything in my life. Because I'm convinced the gospel comes down to one simple thing. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us, and it's a measureless love that we can't even begin to understand. I explain it like this. We've all played this game. I play this game with my kids. I play this game with my wife. I play this game with our loved ones. With your wife, it sounds like this. No, when you're dating, it says, no, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. Remember you played that game? <laughs> I don't, I don't believe you. She hangs up. Does she hang up? She's, she's pretty, I, I, I'm, what I'm getting to understand, she's like, she's, she probably would hang up. She's just like, all right, enough of that. Let's go. But, but we played this game. You've played this game. This is, I, we call this at my house the bigger than the future game, and you've played it this way. You know it because you love this game. It's this one where I've done it with all my kids. I still do it. And, and with my daughter, she's now 13, but we still do this once in a while. But when she was really little, I would climb in the bed. I'd get in bed, and I'd say, okay, Eva and I'd pray for her goodnight, and I'd say, I'd say, okay, I love you, and then the game would start. She'd say, Daddy, I love you to the trees and back. And what would I say? I would say, I love you to the trees and the sun and the moon and the stars and back. 
And then she would say, Daddy, I love you to the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, and, and to the universe, Pluto, which isn't even a planet. Because we homeschool, so we were teaching them. So. And then I would say, I love you to the trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, to Pluto, Jupiter, and beyond. Is it Pluto that's not a planet? I can't remember. I don't teach them. My wife does. And, and what's the game happen? We go back, and say, I love you to the sun, the moon, the stars, the Jupiter, beyond, and, to, and then she would say, and I'd say to infinity and beyond, and then she would say uh, uh, times two. We'd get this long string of my love. I would be, I'd be measuring my great affection for, and I'd be measuring it, and it's so much such a fun game, and I would get all the way, and I remember she, the day she said times two. So she thought she was really clever. She'd figured it out, times two. And then it starts over again, doesn't it? It's like, I love you to the trees, the moon, the sun, the back, to infinity, and beyond, times two, times three. And it just doesn't end. The reason we love this game, the reason we play this game, is because we're playing a game of measurements with a measureless revelation. The moment you think you got your arms around how big his love is, it says times two. The moment you think you understand how good he is, he says to infinity and beyond. You guys okay? And I found it in Scripture. I, as I began to discover his great affection, as I began to realize that I only had one responsibility in life, I only had one, one responsibility as a believer. It had to come down to this simple thing. I just say yes to his great affection. I won't be moved from the perfection of his love. And I found it in Scripture. I found Paul was trying to explain this love, this, this measureless revelation of how he thinks and how he moves and how he feels about us. And using the language of earth, you know, we have language that actually fits measurements. And so he's using the language in, 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 in Ephesians 3.16. He says, I pray, and it's one of my favorite scriptures, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, and this is the part, he says that you'd be rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide to the trees and back, how long to the sun, the moon, and stars. This is what he's doing. He says, how long, how high to Pluto and Jupiter and how deep to infinity and beyond is the love of Christ. And to know this love, to know this love that surpasses knowledge, he wants us to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That we would be filled to the measure, there's the word, the measure of the fullness, uh, to, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then the next scripture he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably beyond all we could ask or imagine. And he's, he's trying to explain this measureless revelation to the best of his ability. I was uh, listening to a speaker, and the great shift, a great shift, the, the biggest shift in my life outside of that time when I was five, and I knelt beside my, uh, the, my mom at the coffee table and asked Jesus into my heart. The greatest shift in my life was, was uh, in my early 30s. And I'd heard a, a, a story, a message uh, about a... a uh, about this, about this uh, guy, this prophet, this, this fellow by the name of Graham Cook. Anybody know Graham Cook? He's a cool dude. And uh, the guy was telling the story, the guy that was speaking was telling the story, and he, and he, said, he said he was at a conference, a, a leader's conference, and Graham was a leader at this conference. And um, 
And he said, uh, he said this guy was eating, and he wasn't really engaged in talking with anyone. All of a sudden, he blurts out, I don't want to be desperate for God. And then, and then he goes back to eating, and the guy telling the story was sitting next to him, and he's trying to process. He's like, well, where did that come from? So finally, he, he, he asks, you know, he's thinking through, was it our conversation? Was it something somebody taught? So he, he, he asks him, and I'm listening to this message. I'm out for a run. I'm listening to this message. He asks him those questions. What does, what does that mean? And Graham said uh, these words. He said, a relationship where the son is always desperate for the father is dysfunctional. When I heard it, I knew it was truth on one level because here's the reality. If I took you to my table, a dinner table, and you sat at my dinner table, and you, you saw my family eating with me, and my son started to beg for food, and you realized he'd gone without, you would say, there's some dysfunction in that family. Amen? So I knew there was truth in this, but I'd not ever applied it this way. And I remember... I remember uh, shortly after that, I was running. And I, I'd been pro- I knew there was something there for me. I was running. I was, I was out for a run. And this is after this, those ladies had held my hand. And I knew God had something. He was telling me he loved me. And I, and I, and I was discovering his great affection. And so I'm, I'm, I'm again out for a run. And it's, a, it's maybe two weeks later. And I feel God's presence. I feel like God begins to speak to me. And he, and he begins to tell me some of how he sees me. And I don't want to go into that this morning. But at the very end of that, that interaction, he asked me a question. He said, Jason, he said, am I a good father? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, well, then if there's dysfunction in our relationship, it's not on my end. That wasn't him saying I had a problem. It was him saying, son, <clears throat> I, see you as, I see you as righteous. I, I, I love you. I've spoken truth. I love you. My love is perfect for you. It was described in, in, in when Jesus was on a cross and he said, he said, forgive them. They know not what they do. It was described when he rose. It was, it's revealed perfectly in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. I've always had your back. He'd, he'd spent some time telling me who he saw me. And then at the end of that time, he asked me this question. And he wasn't saying, Jason, this is a, you, you, you're dirty or you have a problem. What he was saying is he was saying, Jason, you have a, a flaw on your lens regarding who I am and how I see you. And therefore, you've had this flaw on your relationship with me. And most of your life, you've had a relationship with me based on your desperation, based on your need, based on your perspective, instead of based on my love for you. And by the time I got home, I prayed the most important prayer outside of that five-year-old prayer that I've ever prayed in my life. It went like this. I said, Father, from this day forward, I will no longer interact with you based on, on my needs, based on my perspective. From this day forward, I will interact with you based on your love. What does that mean? It means that the rest of my life is, is the great celebration, the great discovery of how you think and how you move and how you feel about me. And it was the most transformational thing that's ever happened in my life. The most transformational thing that's ever happened in the life of my family, my immediate family, and, and, and as it's rippled out. See, I used to live my life in this, in this if I do this, I'll get, I'll get that. Kind of this cause and react, this, this, this idea that I had to earn something from God, even though we know, we were taught that that's not the truth. And I, and I, I lived with this desperation. In fact, some of you know the song, And I am desperate for you. You know that song? That was like my favorite song. And listen to me. It was a beautiful song. I had great encounters. God's a wonderful God. He'll meet with you wherever you are. But I'm going to tell you right now that if you came to my table and you saw desperate kids, 
you would say, I'm, I'm not a very good father. You'd, have to re, re, you'd actually have to report me. I, my last thing is that I would, just picture it this way for me. I, I, I sometimes will joke with this. Like, like somehow I would love it if my kids someday, if they would just follow me around and then they would sing this. And I am desperate. How weird would that be? <laughs> like how messed up would I be if I needed my kids to be constantly telling me how desperate they were for me? The last thing I want my kids to ever wonder is, is does dad love them? Is dad for them? And what I began to discover is that Jesus revealed to us the perfection of our Father's love, and he doesn't deviate to the left or to the right. He loves us. His love is perfect for us. He, is, he won't be moved by anything in your circumstances. You can't do anything to lose it. You can't do anything to, to gain it. The reality is you've got no say in how he feels about you, and he loves you. He is well pleased with you. And I began to find it everywhere. I began to find it in Scripture. I, 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 one of my favorite, quickest ways to get to this this, this morning with you is because I believe this is a great shift. There's a great shift in the church when the body of Christ begins to understand they're not here to, to love uh, out of willpower. They're here to receive his love and then just be walking, talking expressions of love. Does that make sense? Listen, if, 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 if a billionaire were sitting here right now, the billionaire wouldn't have to be willpowering rich. Oh, I'm going to be rich. The billionaires are billionaires. If love sits in a room, love doesn't have to try. There's an ease that we've been invited into, the gospel that Jesus revealed, that you can walk and talk on the planet in the great revelation of your Father's pleasure and live as an expression of His love. And everywhere you go, you're the answer to the question that's aching in the heart of humanity, and you're not even having to try. All you're having to do is stop and go, remind me again how much you love me today. That's so good. I'll live in that place today. Now I'll live from that place today. Amen? I, 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 there's this uh, verse, Jesus grew in wisdom and favor with God and with man. You know it? It's right at, the, uh, at his birth. talks about his, his, his birth, and, and there's this scripture that says he grew in wisdom and favor with God and with man. I, I mentioned this with some of the folks we were with last night. I said, you know, I, uh, I used to, I understand how you grow in favor with man, but I was trying to figure out how Jesus would grow in favor with God. And here's the best way I can say it. When, the, when, when, when they handed me my daughter, uh, my firstborn, and they, and they gave her to me, and they, they put her in my arms and her head's in, my, in my palm of my hands and her body's running down and legs splayed at my elbow. And my heart's just so full. I'm overwhelmed with affection and love. And, and I looked at Madeline and I said, Maddie, I said, listen, you can have some of my favor now and we'll see how this goes. <laughs> That's silly. What did I say? I said, all my favor is yours. Everything I have is yours, which is scriptural. Everything he has is ours. All my favor is yours. All my love is yours. Every, every ounce of my being is yours. So when you grow, what do you do? You grow in the revelation of what you already possess from me. Everything I have is yours. You're growing in the revelation. That's the invitation. That's the gospel. Jesus said it is finished. He said everything, the, everything the Father has is ours. In the parable of the talents, he actually says everything I have is yours. I've purchased it for you. There's this measureless revelation of my love for you. And you, are, you get to grow in the revelation of it. You get to grow more confident today than you were yesterday. And Jesus actually modeled this. We have the creator of the universe walking and talking on the planet. Love in human form. 
walking and talking on the planet for 30 years, 33 in total, but 30 years, and all we have in those first 30 years are two stories. It's mind boggling to me. I've actually had, because I'm a writer and I've had some opportunity to do some documentaries or, and some, and some um, biographies, I actually, I'll go study. There's a couple of different people we've had to write about and got, have gotten the privilege of writing about. You go and you study their formative years and you write about their formative years because their formative years are the years that actually form them, thus the name, for what they're famous for, right? And so here you've got Jesus, the creator of the universe, walking and talking on the planet for 30 years and all we have are two stories. How's that even possible? He's born, you got that one, that's great. When he's 12, if you remember that story, that's the Who Lost Jesus story. And, and I don't have time to get into today, but it's a cool, cool story. Jesus actually is found in the temple. He says, where else would you expect to find me but in my father's house? Shows us he knows who he is. And then there's this story where he goes to the Jordan and his cousin John the Baptist baptizing people. And he, he goes into the Jordan and he's baptized. You know the story? He goes under the water. He comes up out of the water. The Father's voice thunders from heaven. It says heavens are rent open or ripped open. And there's this thunderous voice. And, and the Father says, this is my son whom I love. Way to go. You did it, son. Super proud of you. I'm pleased. He says, I'm well pleased with you. You know what? You know the scripture? Now, in the gospel I grew up with, the question has to be asked, what's the father pleased with? And the understanding I had, you got to ask, what's he done? He hadn't done anything yet. And that was the tension in my life. The father was going, you're putting the cart before the horse. See, here's the reality. Jesus got a well-pleased before he healed deaf ears or blind eyes or walked on water or raised the dead. He got a well-pleased before he went to the cross, before he died, before he rose. He got a well-pleased before he did all the stuff that he's famous for. And I would like to propose to you that he did it from that pleasure. See, I'm convinced that Jesus had 30 years on the planet and he had one responsibility, to grow in the revelation of his Father's great affection. Day in, day out. Growing in the revelation of how much his Father loved him, of how much his Father was pleased in him, of how much favor he had. And, and he grew in wisdom and revelation. He grew in wisdom and favor and he grew in this revelation of his Father's pleasure till the Father one day said, man, you've got so much revelation on how much I love you and how, how, it's already, how, how good I am that at this point, let's go do some stuff. And Jesus didn't do anything for, he did everything from. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And that's the invitation to us. 